Welcome to Real Stories MKE, brought to you as part of X Fabulous' work to connect Milwaukee through real stories. I'm Martavius McNeil. And I'm Simone Hamis. X Fabulous believes that everyone has personal stories worth sharing. We host storytelling workshops where community members can build their storytelling skill and confidence, and story slams where true stories are shared on stage. Simone and I are X Fabulous summer interns, and we are taking over for Joel and Kim this episode. But we also are birthday twins, right, though? <laughs> That's correct. But we've had a great time preparing for this episode, and we can't wait to share the four stories we picked for this episode. Now, our theme for this episode is identity. Not showing up as your authentic self makes you feel like you have to be someone else. I can personally relate to identity because I've had my own identity crisis. Oh, we're not just going to skip past what you just said. What was your identity crisis? Man, honestly, sleep was my whole identity for a while. I was going through a terrible heartbreak. I was really out of it. And one day I just decided to get up and start working out and eating healthier. It really made me feel better. Hey, Sam, what does identity mean to you? Identity to me means understanding who you are and setting those boundaries so that others can see that as well. Like our first story, I also went through a phase where I let the opinions of others change what I saw as my authentic self. Our first story comes from Matthew Lewis. He shared this story at our first collaborative event with Hyphen called After Dark for the Culture. This series of events is a cross between a story slam and a poetry slam, and they feature black and brown artists from Milwaukee. If you guys can, you really should check it out. Here's Matthew. So, um, thank you. I love X Fabula. Um, so, um, you all are going to be witness to my favorite person in the universe is my 10 year old self. So, I pay homage to him whenever I can. Um, I design a life where I hope he is proud of. So, this poem is to that. At one end of a rainbow, the sun shines on a black boy, skipping down uneven sidewalks overgrown with weeds and emerging flora. The air is filled with the smell of fresh-cut lawns, sweat, and summer. A boy leaps over cracks. His laughter echoes between houses, paired with the sounds of little Sally Walker being played in secret and the cat daddy cackle of brothers popping firecrackers between games of hustle. A boy wants no part of the hustle, just wants to double dutch, pick dandelions, and swing on neighbor's swing. His tongue, red from Kool-Aid and pocketed candy, pops unapologetically. Boy is sugar and spice. Boy is magic. Boy is beautiful. Boy is boy, whatever boy is. With the breeze comes the stares and the whispers from all directions. He's so different. Why do you talk like that? Get your hands off your hips like that. A boy tries to shrink his body, tries to fade into the brightness, reaching for something to hold on to and finding only the sweat inside his palm. The smell of summer turns sour and there is nowhere to hide from the swelling voices and the weeds begin to wrap his feet and hands from unseen shadows replace the flowers with a football. Boy cradles football. Boy cradles boyhood, boy in hood, discovering boy, whatever boy is. And a boy must take flight to save himself. A flash of light in the broken glass of empty alleyways. A linger of cotton candy sweet. A boy races until the voices fade into a rush of air. Running streets till streetlights flicker. 
A boy catches his breath watching fireflies on his front porch. The voices now murmurs in the night. Football left in someone else's boyhood. Someone else's boyhood. One last glance. A boy closes his eyes, finding safety in his dreams. Thank you. Wow, that was deep. You know, we've had Matthew at a nice amount of ex-fabula events, and even though we've never got to personally see him perform, he always gives us a powerful message through his stories. Yeah, I love that for him. Also, I know that's right, Matthew. I love how he understands who he is, and he lets go of everything that didn't fit into his identity. This next story was also shared at the After Dark event for the culture by frequent ex-fabula storyteller Michaela Lacey. Here's Michaela. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm really honored to be here and I'm really honored to be sharing my story to this theme um, for the culture. Um, every time I think of culture, I think of community. And so um, this is a story about the community, one of the communities that I hold dearest in my heart, and that is Public Allies Milwaukee. <laughs> As stated in my bio, I am a proud Public Allies alum. Um, and if it were not for Public Allies, I would not be standing in front of you all today. Um, so it is important to me that any stage that I step on, I um, indicate how important they were to my life. Public Allies was to my life and is to my life. Um, so I'm queer. <laughs> um, and I'm really proud of myself because uh, there was a point in time in my life where I was nervous to say that out loud. Um, but I've taken a journey, a journey that I am really proud of, a journey that is uh, my own to claim, a journey that I am not ashamed of. And I have had multiple coming out stories. <laughs> so um, I feel that for the culture. I'm going to share those multiple coming out stories. <laughs> so um, I'm going to um, take it back to 2013. Um, I remember being in my great-grandmother's room, my grandmother who is uh, a very God-fearing Southern woman, <laughs> and coming out to her and telling her that I was queer. And I knew that if I came out to my great-grandmother, there was nobody in the world that I should be afraid to coming out to. Because if my great-grandmother accepts me, it doesn't matter who accepts me at this point. So I remember my great-grandmother in her very Christian way told me <laughs> that she loved me and that she accepted me and that if she had to distract Jesus so that I could sneak inside of heaven, <laughs> that somehow, some way, she was going to get me to heaven. <laughs> and thank you. <laughs> and um, when she passed... I felt that there was nowhere in the world where I would be accepted again and I would feel the love of someone who was willing to fight with herself um, 
fight inside of herself to um, be in the intersection of a religion um, that sometimes tells you that um, you can't meet people where they are, but only accept people where God says they should be. And also this deep love for her great-granddaughter. And so when she passed, I feared that that love would not be present in my life anymore. But then in 2020, I joined Public Allies. And I came out again. And this time, there was no apologies. There was no shame. There was a certain safety that I felt that I didn't have to apologize for. And there was a certain confidence that I had that really stuck with me and really moved me. (laughs) And it's interesting because within the same community, with different faces, very recently I came out again and I named that despite um, being able to be um, honest about my queerness and open with my sexuality, I felt that there was a calling for me to be queer and quiet. And I feel like oftentimes um, in spaces where I was partially accepted for being queer, there was an expectation for me to be queer and quiet about it. There was a certain exhale that my family took when I entered a relationship with a cis man. And then I uh, felt that same love with public allies again when I said, I don't want to be queer and quiet anymore. I want to be loud and I want to be safe and I want to be loved. And I was encouraged deeply by public allies to stand in my truth and to be honest about who I was and unapologetic. And I remembered that. um, And that is the reason why I am up here right now telling you at the forefront that I am queer um, because of the love that I felt. And I know that I am just so thankful because even though my great-grandmother is not here anymore, I have never been absent of that love. So. Michaela's story made me think about how much my grandmother loves me. It was really touching how her grandmother said, even if she had to distract Jesus, she'll do that just so her grandbaby can get into heaven. It really, really reminds you of a black grandmother's love. I love how her grandmother openly accepted her, which sometimes is not common. Let's read some ultra shorts. Ultra shorts are written stories that are normally only a couple lines long. We collect ultra shorts at the Story Slams and read them on stage. It is a way to share your story without having to get up on stage yourself. Here's one from Sammy D. From my own battle with depression, I found strength to stand up in front of a hundred of my classmates and openly discuss my battle with depression to reduce the stigma around mental health. I know that's right, Sammy. I just feel like sometimes people just think mental health is all about the sadness. And sometimes it's about what you took to get out of that sadness. I know that's right. I love that for him. I love that for you, Sammy. It, it, it really shows how much you can grow as a human to sit there in, in front of 100 people and tell what you dealt with and the stigma around your mental health. Kudos to you, Sammy. 
Our next ultra short comes from Anonymous. Apparently, I said my pronouns too quietly because you continued to misgender me. Apparently, I said my name too quickly because you continued to dead name me. Apparently, I said my sexuality too loudly because you make it blatantly obvious how homophobic you are. Although I'm not a LGBTQ member, kudos to you because even though they continue to disrespect you, you sit there and you take it and you can talk about it. You wrote an ultra short about it. That's getting read in front of hundreds of people right now. Kudos to you. Yeah, it's the awareness for me, but I am a part of that community, and I just feel like if you're going to be disrespectful, do it in silence. <laughs> just do it in silence. Thank you. You know, do it with your friends and cousins, but don't do it in front of me. Thank you. Just come speak my mind. <laughs> Our next ultra short comes from Anonymous. The value of maintaining my identity while living in another culture is priceless. The temptation to blend in, do as the locals, is tempting to be accepted. I would think if only I could cross into the into their culture, then I would be accepted. Make a change and be happy. However, who I am on the inside isn't changing and it shouldn't because I'm accepted and I'm happy when I do not cross over, but when I am true to myself. I know that's right. That is great. I like, kudos right. to you. Just yeah. great. It, just It definitely couldn't be hard being around different people and you feeling like an outcast. You definitely want to blend in. It is. And, and I'm just glad that you accepted yourself and you're true to yourself. Kudos to you. Our next ultra short comes from Carol. I have been at my jobs for six months, and today I realized, or maybe I always knew that I don't belong. It's time for a change. And realization is key because, baby, and once you realize it, you got to let it go. That's right. Once you realize the fault, let it go. You got to let it go. Carol, go ahead and let that job go. It's time for let a change. <laughs> this ultra short is from Anonymous. Even if you don't support me and my life choices, at least respect me and my pronouns. At least listen to me when I yell my real name. Even if you want to ignore me, even if you don't want to hear me. And that goes back to when I said, if you're going to hate, hate in private. If you're going to be disrespectful, do it in private. That do it on your own accord. You ain't got to like it, but you definitely need to respect the baby. Hey, if you're going to hate, just be silent. Quiet. I like that. Our next identity story comes from Sarah Bell. She shared this story at the Water Story Slam in 2017. Here's Sarah. It's June of 1998. Bill Clinton is telling the nation that he did not have sexual relationships with that woman. And I am a six-year-old standing on the edge of a diving board. I'm looking down at my cousins, and they're all looking up at me, and they can see the terror slowly washing over my face. Up to this point, I had been a daredevil. I'd climbed every high tree that I saw, gone every down, down every high slide that I saw, terrifying my mom to the point where she didn't have any other kids. <laughs> So I'm standing up there, and I suddenly realize that I'm about 20 feet above the water. It's probably like four. And I am immortal. I can die. If I jump, I'm going to die is essentially what I am feeling in my head. So I'm looking down at them, and they're telling me, in an effort to calm me down, you don't have to jump off. You can walk back, and it'll be okay. Just get off the board. It's okay. And as they're telling me this, I realize that they're trying to egg me on, and my stubbornness starts to rise more, and I start realizing that I am going to jump. I don't care if I die. I'm going to jump. <laughs> so I jump, and I come to the surface, and I'm a little shaken, but I am victorious. I have begged my parents for weeks to let me jump off this diving board, and I finally proved that I could. So I spent the rest of the summer jumping into this pool as often as possible. I loved swimming. Swimming 
was my freedom. Move forward a couple of years, I'm in third grade, and a slip comes home from school. I have the ability to join a swim team, so I do. Um, and I swim every day, and it's my freedom again. I can, I'm learning how to do the breaststroke, I'm learning how to do the butterfly stroke. That's my only worry in life, is making sure that I can do those strokes and not hit my head on the wall of the pool. And it's great. I don't have to worry about school. I don't have to worry about not fitting in. I don't have to worry about my grades. I don't have to worry about when I'll see my dad again. And so that's what I do. I just throw myself into swimming, and it becomes my freedom for the next couple of years. And then I hit fifth grade. And the summer before fifth grade, I'm visiting my dad. And my dad is one of those men to me who was my hero. The sun rose and fell at his voice. He was God to me. And so I'm saying goodnight to him one night, and he looks up at the tip of my head down to the tip of my toes, and he says, honey, since you've been living with your mom, you've gotten fat. And I'm devastated. <laughs> to me, being fat was a quirk that people had. You either had freckles or red hair, or you were fat, and that was okay with me. I was fine being fat until he said that, and I started equating being fat to being bad. And if I'm fat, then I must be a bad person. And so I lived the rest of my grade school life like that. I started wearing baggier clothes, wearing baggier jeans, making sure that people couldn't see the tops of my arms or down my thighs. If I was the summer, I would wear shorts down to my knees and would wear shirts that went down to my elbows. I didn't want anyone to see those parts of my body. So moving forward, I get to college, and I start getting sick of that. <laughs> I start realizing that people don't give a crap what I look like. I start wearing t-shirts that show off my arms. I start wearing short shorts. It starts getting hot, and I realize how hot it is. I can't stay in the air conditioner because I'm in school, and I'm trying to walk to class in the middle of spring when it's 70 degrees outside. So I start wearing less, and I start becoming more confident with my body. And I start losing weight. I moved to Milwaukee. I lose 50 pounds within six months. It's awesome. <laughs> and then I move back in with my mom, and I gain all that weight back. The man who I've been in love with for four years and seeing off and on tells me he can never ultimately be with me because he's given me four years to lose weight, and I'm still fat, and I'm not skinny. And so he's going after his skinny soulmates, and it devastated me, and I gave up. <laughs> I gave up trying to be skinny. Until I moved to Milwaukee, and I started getting healthier again, moved back, and Tinder had just become a thing. So I start seeing every man I can possibly see on Tinder, start swiping right as often as possible. <laughs> I live up to the definition of Tinder slut. It is fantastic. <laughs> But I start to realize after a few months of that, actually after a year of that, um, that it's a very shallow confidence, and I need to be confident in myself whether there's a man next to me or not. But how do you do that? Like, how do you even get to that point? So it finally rolls around to last summer. It's 90 degrees outside. We are dying. Me and my best friend, all we want to do is go swim in the lake. And I cannot find a swimsuit to save my life. I had about three swimsuits somewhere in my collection that covered me, were super modest, went down to my mid of my thigh, covered me up nicely, and I couldn't find them anywhere. So we go to Bayshore, and we look at these one pieces. And all the one pieces are either too tight or too loose. They're terrible. And so I'm like starting to get stubborn again, and I'm like, I'm going to swim, damn it. So I started trying on two pieces, and then I started trying on bikinis. And the first bikini I try on was terrible. The ruffles are everywhere that I don't want them to be. And so I try on my next bikini, and that was terrible as well. And I try on again. And finally, I find the right perfect black bikini. Looks fantastic on me. Covers up my stomach, but shows off my boobs, shows off my arms. 
and I walk down to the water, pina colada in hand, and I find my freedom again. Thank you. It's sad to see that her dad fat shamed her, but I'm really happy that she's finally confident with her body. Remember, you are beautiful. As a plus size woman, I definitely understand how it feels to go through a phase of shallow confidence, but I'm glad that you realize your beauty. And I love that for you. Sarah Gibson sent us an update on her story. She says, I'm still fat and fabulous, and I know that's right. I'm out here doing my best to embrace that level of bad buttery from my story every day. Seeing firsthand how many people connect with my story has made the stage fright. I swallowed back that night more than worth it. Wear that bikini, tell your story, do the things that scares you. Our last identity story comes from Erica Wright. She shared this story at the Identity in the Workplace Story Slam in 2019. Here's Erica. Thank you for calling. This is Erica. What you all just heard was my phone voice. <laughs> I learned that voice in my first job. I'm just going to take this off. <laughs> my first job out of college, I was working for a local insurance agency in sales. And uh, my boss, who was a white male, he heard me my first week on the phones, and he's like, you know what, Erica, this is not going to work. We need to work on your voice, because you're not going to be able to make any sales if we don't get this together. And I'm like, yeah, okay, you know, I'm just out of college, I want to do well, show me what I need to do. So he and I, we worked that evening on my pitch and my tone, and we got my voice together. And he's like, you know, yes, this is, this is it. And essentially what we came up with was that was my white voice. To him, it was my phone voice, but for me, that was my white voice. And it worked. It worked. I, I did. I got more sales. I, uh, you know, when people did not know who they were talking to on the other side of that phone, I, it, it flowed. I didn't stay there long, but that skill would be a skill that would help me in my next role as a client service consultant. I worked in a contact center handling mutual funds. And um, I was good. I, I, my, my phone calls were great. I got great scores. I got compliments. My bosses, they, uh, they gave me good reviews. I was so good that I was able to get a management position um, from that entry-level role, which was something that most people don't do. And the day that I, it was announced that I was uh, being promoted to manager, that's when all the chatter started to happen. They gave that role to her. Oh, she got that over you? They must really be practicing diversity. You know, see, I was the only African-American manager, really, I think, out of that whole building. I can't even remember if I ever seen one, ever. <laughs> but um, yes, and so I started to let that get to me. And so if I had a chance to rate myself as an overall manager, I would give myself probably a C plus, right? because I dealt a lot with imposter syndrome. Am I good enough to be here? Were they really strong? Am I, am I the token black person in here? You know, And that affected the way I would show up sometimes, right? So when I'm in the meeting, am I, am I worried about what everybody's going to say? So I'm not responding with my true thoughts, and the things that I really want to um, input. Now, for them, I, I was great. Got promoted again. 
<laughs> um, but then I realized I just wasn't happy. I woke up one morning and I'm like, man, I'm dreading to go to work. I don't want to be here. Why is that? Because I've never really been that way for anything in my life. And so once I got to check myself, I understood, you know what, you're unhappy. It's exhausting showing up to work as someone different than who you are every day. Instead of turning on my phone voice, I was turning on and off who I was. Right? It had it had gotten that bad. And so I couldn't show up in the authentic self that I wanted to be because I was so the pressure of being the only black person and making sure that I'm living up to the standards of somebody else instead of just being who I was. Even though the reason I did get promoted was because I did the work. I always raised my hand for projects. I was good. <laughs> I showed leadership qualities, but I let that get to me. Long story short, I quit. <laughs> and I ended up uh, starting an advisory business and I have to show up as my authentic self every day because my clients are going to see that. My clients are going to know when I'm not being authentic. And so I enjoy that and I live in that and I empower them to be authentic as well. And so I'm happy. That's my story. You know, I've experienced dealing with the white voice, white boss thing, and that... Trust me, man, that's something you just really do not want to do. It's tiring, putting on his character, going into work every day, just putting up someone as you, like, that's just not you. It's tiring. It's draining. Boring. It's like, boring. boring. Like, it just, it drains yeah. you mentally. You feel so sick every day going home, just. Yeah. Man. Well, as an ex-employee of Chick-fil-A, I definitely understand because having to show up to work every day as not being your authentic self is the hardest thing I've ever done, and I'm just glad that that's over. Well, Erica sent us an update as well, and as she mentioned in her story, she co-founded the Bell and Wright Financial Group of Northwestern Mutual and is still her own boss. Congratulations, Erica. Yes, I know that's right. Hey, Sam, how you feeling about doing some more ultra shorts? Yeah, we can do that. We can do that. Here's one from JJ. I am starting gender-affirming care this week, which is being made forbidden in certain states. Not sure why my identity is taking precedence over actual social issues that impact millions of people every day. But I know that living in my truth, centering joy in my life, will be the sweetest fruit. I'm glad that JJ has finally found their truth. I'm proud of you, JJ. Yeah, I love that. But can we just speak on how they just forbidden stuff in states now? Like, that's, that's not weird to y'all. That's, that's a little yeah. weird to me. That's for country. Our next ultra short comes from Anonymous again. I'm not sure how everyone else would define my identity, but I say that I am a Balkan-flavored German America, an artist, a librarian, an ex-bartender, an activist, and a Milwaukeean. All these identities are interconnected and frequently bumped up against each other. Well, I say that you got a whole bunch of identities. I mean, it's different personalities, different people. On. That's like... Kudos. Yeah, it's that, great that you decided great. to share your story, and I'm happy to see that you're all of them. I'm proud to see that you're a proud Milwaukeean. Our next ultra short comes from Dress. I have found myself through creative arts. Not only am I allowed to express myself through creative arts, but it gives me a sense of my true self. Finding identity has helped me find my inner peace within myself and my purpose. I'm glad that creative arts have helped you find yourself and your purpose and the peace within yourself. 
And yeah, I love that for you too. I know that's right. I just feel like if you find something you love, you should always do it because at the end of the day, that's you finding your true self, your true identity. And I love that for her. I know we have a lot of ultra shorts from Anonymous, but this one is also from Anonymous. I am on a <laughs> journey to discover who I am. The journey might never end and I'm okay with that. <laughs> well, I tell you like this, Anonymous, I'm okay with this journey not ever ending either. It's been a wild ride. I don't know about not ending. I'm trying to find my true self, and I'm trying to find it fast, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely love that for her. I definitely love it for her. That's all that we have for today, Real Stories MKE. But don't worry. Fabula has been doing this for more than 10 years, and there are more audio and video stories available at xfabula.org. Exfabula websites list upcoming storytelling workshops and story slams, and we hope you'll join us at an event and maybe even a share a story. You can also con- connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks to everyone who made this program possible, including Exfabula staff, the storytellers, audio engineer Sam Woods, and producer Lauren Instanis. For Real Stories MKE, I'm Simone. And I'm Martavius. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.